I just turned 60. I'm old and confused. <laughs> I don't know how to run this newfangled technology. Let's try that again. Shabbat shalom, everybody. For our visitors, that simply means Sabbath peace, and it is the blessing and the greeting that we bestow upon you in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, and really genuinely uh, are happy that you are here this morning as we continue our uh, Lion's Roar uh, study of the book of Revelation. I do want to just, if you're here today, and and we're not going to make you stand, we're not going to embarrass you, but if you're a visitor here for the first time today, would you just wave at me? Anyway, we got a couple of our friends over here. Oh, whole family, they're great. So happy to have you all with us. To those who are uh, online watching, we're the online watchers. Uh, we're so thankful to have you uh, sharing with us. May I encourage you just to say something uh, in the comment section, just to kind of let us know you're there. It's an encouragement to know uh, how far the Lord is uh, uh, allowing our little congregation, our little corner of the world to uh, go into the world through the technology of the internet and bless people. Well, the lion's roar, uh, the name of our series actually comes from the book of Amos chapter 3 verse 8, a lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? The lion of Judah has roared and he has given us the revelation as the final script of Holy Scripture. His roar is fierce, it is ferocious, as is the throne in heaven upon which he sits. Last Saturday, we looked at the first three verses of chapter 3 as John was called into the Spirit, what I call the going up to see the summing up in Jesus. He was called up in the Spirit to go through a door standing open in heaven to see and experience the glorious majesty of the Eternal One seated upon His throne. And I'm so thankful that our worship leaders chose songs today that focus our attention on the power of that throne. In the same way the door is seen standing and established, so the throne of God is seen standing and established. It is immovable, but it is not immobile. Do you understand what I mean? It is firm and established, but that doesn't mean it doesn't move. And we'll get into that a little bit more next week. But John uses the elements of things created upon the earth to describe the likeness of the spiritual realities he is seeing in heaven. So he describes both the eternal one upon the throne and the throne itself in the likeness of three stones, jasper, sardius, and emerald. And here's what you have to understand about these stones that he's seeing, that he's using to describe. Each one is translucent which means light can pass through it. And as it does, it creates an explosion of brilliant light from every color of the spectrum and causes a rainbow of glory to encircle the throne of glory. It is as terrifying as it is radiantly beautiful, and yet it is to this very throne, as amazing as this may sound, that you and I are invited this day. The writer of Hebrews said, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. 
I've been preaching for months just trying to remind people that grace, the loving kindness of God as used in the New Testament by Paul is also power. It's, he said, the writer of Hebrews says, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I don't know what your need is today. I don't know what grace you need to encounter. It may be mercy for sins committed. It may be power to face challenges that seem to be overwhelming. It, it, it may be the courage and the boldness to speak a word of encouragement or to share the gospel with someone you know. I don't know what your need is, but I know where to go to find the answer to it. It's called the throne of grace. And I'm going to invite you right now to go there with me in prayer. What I'm not inviting you to do is to simply bow your head and close your eyes and listen to the preacher talk. I'm inviting you, as I'm inviting myself, to open your heart and to tell the Lord, I need to press into your presence. Lord God, speak to me today. Will you pray with me as we prepare to enter his word as we approach his throne. Abba Father, I come this morning, Bashem Yeshua HaMashiach, in the name of Jesus, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ, who has ascended to the right hand of your great majesty in heaven and has taken his place to intercede as my priest king forever and ever. Father, we come today needing you as our advocate because our adversary is relentless. But thankful that our advocate reigns on high. You speak to us. Will you meet us in our time of need because of the great majesty and power of your grace from your throne? I pray this. I believe for this in Yeshua's holy name. And all God's children said, amen. So last week I said we were going to break this chapter down into three sections. Uh, the first is uh, we've been looking at the glorious throne. And I've got a few more things to say about that before we move into the second part that we're going to look at today, which is the great assembly that is around the throne. So let me begin in Revelation chapter 4, beginning in verses 1 through 6. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first, verse, first voice, which I heard like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, come up here, and I will show you the things that must take place after these things. Now, remember last week, I told you that in, in Hebrew, there's no word for things. It's the word devarim, which means words. So everything we're about to see and hear it is something that has come forth from the mouth of God. It is the Devar Hashem. It is the word of the Lord. And this happens because of the word of the Lord. And now this happens because of the word of the Lord. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was standing in heaven and one sitting upon the throne. 
And he who was sitting was like, jas like a jasper stone and sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And upon the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns upon their heads. And out from the throne comes flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal, in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. Now, as John is writing this and giving us this description, he is going to use three different prepositions around, from, and before the throne. I mean, he is really positioning us to see everything that is positioned around the throne. And his detail, I mean, uh, you know, they say the devil is in the detail. No, the devil is not in this detail. The Holy One of God, the Holy God is the detail. And John wants us to absolutely be laser focused on every one of these details. Now, the truth of the matter is, and I want you to just stop for a minute and consider how much detail is actually given? Because let's, let's be honest. It's not necessary unless God feels that it is. I mean, he, he could simply just go to a description of, of, of the eternal one, uh, to, to Jesus. He, he could bypass all the description of the throne. All we really need to know is God's seated on his throne. So why spend so much time telling us about the throne? Now, I'm gonna, you're going to get some of my frustration with how people deal with Revelation Day, and I apologize for that. But it is amazing to me how people want to set the detail aside as if it's irrelevant. When it's not irrelevant, it is the message. And the Holy Spirit, who is inspiring John, who's showing John all this and writes all this, is you are being shown the details because the details of what you're seeing, well, this is going to be a mic drop, absolutely have to do with the details of your life and who you are. And we're going to see that as we continue. The precision and details speak to the accuracy and the literalness of what John is seeing and what we're being shown. Now, John is going to use created earthly things to describe by likeness heavenly things. By the way, if you go to the book of Ezekiel, which is in Hebrew, John, this, this, uh, the revelation is in Greek, same thing. Ezekiel does the same exact thing when he, is, when he is receiving his vision of the throne, he's going to use created earthly things and, and use them as a similitude, as a likeness of the things that he's seen in the spiritual realm. Now, please hear me. This doesn't make this figurative. It makes it descriptive. I'm going to say that again. This doesn't make it figurative Meaning, John's just using a bunch of flowery pictures and images, but it's, it, it doesn't really exist. It's not figurative, it's descriptive, and there's a huge difference. There is a difference between something that is symbolic and something that is a similitude, and if that's a new word for you, don't worry, I'll define it. 
But a symbol is something that stands in the place of something. And the easiest example that, that I can give you, which we'll eventually talk about in this text, is a flag, a banner. You know, we, we have uh, 50 stars on the American flag. And those 50 stars are symbolic of what? 50 states. That's, that's how a symbol is used, all right? A similitude, on the other hand, is a comparison of two things using a common element in both. A likeness can only be used if both things being described exist and share the point of comparison. Otherwise, there is, there is no means by which a comparison can actually be made. Now, I'm going to try and illustrate that for you. If I try to describe the sun to you and I say, it's like a gobbled nostarama. Come on now. The sun. It's like a gobbled nostarama. Are you telling me you don't know what a gobble nostarama is? No, you don't, because I just made it up. But I got to tell you the truth. I had to take two shots at finding something that didn't exist. Because the first thing I came up with, I thought, I better Google that. And lo and behold, I'm like, what are the odds of that? So I, so you can Google gobble nostarama. Yeah, it's not there. Now, Whatever the Nostrum is, someone say, well, at least you know it looks like the sun. Well, no, you don't, not if it doesn't exist. See, the point of a similitude is that, that the thing that you are describing shares a common element of the thing that is being compared to it. The point of comparison must exist or there is no comparison. So please don't confuse sim something that is symbolic and something that is a comparison. Also, because something is spiritual doesn't mean it's not real. John is in the spirit. Why? Because no flesh can see God and live. He is seeing the other living realm of creation, the heavenly spiritual realm. In order to do so, he has to be taken in the spirit. I, I kind of I got tickled thinking about this. You know how you, you go to a church or something, you have a real spiritual experience, and, and you talk about, wow, man, I, I really had a spiritual encounter today. I, I just kind of wonder if the angels who were tasked to appear to Abraham and Isaac and all the biblical patriarchs, you know, ever after, after they had that moment, they, they'd go back and they'd look at their angel friends and say, wow, I had a real human encounter today. Why is it that when the angels appear to humans, they take human form? For the exact same reason that when John is called into the heavenlies, he's called in the spirit. Not because these are make-believe creatures, but because he's going into another realm to encounter that realm. And so to encounter the spiritual realm, you have to do it in the spirit. Does that kind of a mic drop moment for you? I mean, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I hope so. So rather than just dismiss what he sees in this vision as just symbolic imagery, 
accept it as that which is described for you with the earthly creations that we understand so that we can understand what is in the heavenly. Which, by the way, that is exactly what the text says it's doing. It's amazing. If you go by commentaries on the book of Revelation, everybody will tell you what is happening in the text and ignore the fact that the Bible, that in Ezekiel and Isaiah, in Revelation, it tells you exactly what it's doing. It was like this. So I'm going to go with what the Holy Spirit said. So let's look at these prepositions and kind of get a picture of what we're seeing here. First of all, from around the throne. Two things are being described as around the throne. Before we look at them, I want you to understand how this preposition is used. We have the benefit of both Hebrew and Greek in the scripture to help us understand. Now, in modern English, if I just say uh, they were standing around, it's not a very specific detail, is it? Oh, those guys are just, or they're standing around. But if I say they were standing around the table, then a whole different mental picture develops, right? Now you have a sense that around is not just randomly spaced, but intentionally positioned. And so when we read this word that something is around the throne, don't think of something as simply scattered or random. Think of something as intentionally placed for a reason. And by the way, if it's intentionally placed there for a reason, there's an intentional thing God wants us to see and understand from it. Okay? Ezekiel uses the Hebrew word sabib to describe the living beings around the throne. Now, the idea of the word is not just in proximity, but specifically in form, meaning they are encircling the throne. That's the verb form of that word. It means they are moving in a circle. The verb form means to move in a circle. This is the very same word which describes how Israel walked around the city of Jericho. Are you getting what I'm saying? Remember what, I, what I've been emphasizing? The throne of God is immovable, but it's not immobile. There is a ton of movement going on. It is established, but not immobile. Now, I say that because from Ezekiel's description, we get the very clear description of God's throne, the Merkava, as being wheels within wheels. Well, what do wheels do? They turn. We also get a clear description that there is movement. So God's throne is unmovable, but it's, yet it's always moving. The throne is standing because this is a Makom Kodesh. This is the holy standing place. Please remember that term. Makom Kodesh. When, when, when you see, you know, the man of lawlessness standing in the holy place, Makom Kodesh. It's what we call the temple. It's what we call the temple in heaven. It's, Makom, it's, it's, it's a holy standing place. So what does John see around the throne? He sees a rainbow. This is the glory of God. Remember, the stones are translucent so that the light goes through them the way light goes through a prism. And when light goes through a prism, what happens to it? It doesn't reflect, it refracts. 
And if you're not familiar with that term, what that means is light is then broken down into multiple aspects of the spectrum, and that's where we get color. And so we know that God dwells in infinite what? Light. And so his glory is, this is why John is using this, these created stone ideas, because it helps us understand that his glory, this light, is being refracted in this amazing, colorful rainbow. But rainbows are also created when light passes through what? Water. Is there any water in heaven? Well, as a matter of fact... Genesis 1.1, Bereshit bara Elohim et hashamayim et haaretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens, hashamayim. You know what? I think I'll have some. Well, looky there. Shamayim. There is water. Every time, <laughs> every time he preaches, how many of you want to go to heaven? I want to go to heaven. Well, then it's time to go to the mikvah. It's time to go be immersed in water. Why? Because you're telling God, I want to come home. What is the substance? What is the physical substance on earth that represents the spiritual reality in heaven? Water. So is there water around the throne? Yeah. And we're going to come back and talk about the crystal sea, the sea of glass, the last two Saturdays of this month, we're going to kind of dive into a study of water immersion and how significant it really is as a part of this incredible covenant thing that we are invited to. The rainbow around the throne of God is the evidence of his presence and the signature of his glory. He is, it is also the signature of his covenant with Noah. I mean, how did God, how did God sign the covenant? He put the glory of the throne as the covenant reminder. Now, how do I know that Jesus is from God and is God? John 1.14, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And what does he say? And we saw his glory. The glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Whenever you're talking about the glory of God, the kavod, you're talking about that brilliant, blinding light, the, the, the overwhelmingness of his presence, but the manifestation of the glory is always light. Do you remember what happened to Moses after he'd been up on the mountain? Came down and his face shone, kind of hoping he looked like this. I'd like to pretend that's how this happened. John saw Jesus transfigured on the mountain with Peter and James, Matthew 17, 2. And he was transfigured before them and his face shone like a gobble nostrama. Nope. By the way, that's, that's really not a word. So please don't go look in your Greek lexicons for that. I made it up. No, it shone like the sun. Now you know what he looked like because there's a point of comparison and his garments became white as light. Matthew 16, 27, Matthew records Jesus' words, for the son of man is going to come in the glory of his father with his angels. There's a reason we're being shown this throne. 
God's signature is his glory, and the throne of God is nothing but the glorious, radiating, brilliant light refracting into blinding color, making us aware of his majesty. Now, the second thing that's around the throne or encircling the throne, there are 24 other thrones. What are we seeing? Well, first of all, I want you to understand that we are seeing a blueprint of God's throne, and that when God describes his throne, it's not a singular chair. It's a massive complex. The center throne is where the eternal one sits, but just, well, not just as important, but relevant to the throne are 24 other thrones that are considered a part of the throne of God. It is massive, it is circular in design with a central throne upon which the the eternal one is encircled by 24 other thrones. Now we're going to come back to the 24 elders in, in a little bit, but for now I want you to recognize the throne and these other 24 thrones that are encircling the throne are the throne. All right? The second thing, the second preposition, from the throne, out from the throne comes flashes of lightnings and sounds of thunder. There are three things that are described as coming from, from or out of the throne. Flashes of lightning, sounds, voices, and thunder. What is lightning? It's electricity. The word for flashes is the same word from which we get our word stars. Do you remember how the revelation began in chapter 1? And we saw this in, chapter, in the letters. The revelation began with Jesus sending seven letters to the seven angels of the seven churches and then explains that the seven stars seen in his right hand are the seven angels of the seven churches. And so this is this would fall into a category of where you could say this is not only a similitude but it's symbolic. The star represents the angels but it's but it's more than just a symbol because it's a reality. So what is coming from the throne? the conveyors of God's glory and will, which are his angels. There is life coming from the throne by which God's will and power is revealed to the word, to the world. Secondly, there are sounds, and this word can also be translated as voices. John heard a voice like the sound of rushing waters. Now he sees the voice of God going forth from the throne. The Greek word we translate sound or voice can also mean language or dialect. Do you remember what happened in Acts chapter 2? The crowd came together at Pentecost because they heard the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and then the sound appeared as tongues of fire, and they heard God's word in what? Languages and dialects. Where was it coming from? The throne of grace. Because that's what happens, that's what comes out from the throne is this manifestation of God's power and his voice. Then it says that uh, uh, we translate it as peals of thunder. Revelation 6.1 describes when the four living beings speak Uh, speaks to John, it says, then I saw when the lamb broke one of the seven seals, I heard one of the four living beings saying, as with a voice of thunder. Now, here's what I want you to kind of focus in on. 
All of this indicates that it's coming from the throne of God's glory and grace. John describes God's voice, the power of his word, using visual and audible descriptions for comparison so we get a sense of understanding of what he is seeing and hearing, but even more importantly, from whence it comes, the glorious immovable throne of God. Now, now this is just amazing because when, when, when you read, I, well, I saw lightning and I saw, I heard thunder and I heard voices, the same description is used of all three that is flowing from the throne of God. This, this is what is coming out from, from the throne of God. Now listen to what the psalmist wrote, Psalm 19, 1 through, 1 through 3. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words where their voice is not heard. My friends, if you do not see this now, you are going to miss the central revelation of this book and its encouragement. It is all coming from the throne of God. There are too many people that come to this book and get, and, and the book does take time to tell us about the kings and kingdoms that we sang about today that cannot stand in the presence of that which cannot be moved. But if you, before you get to those temporary, pathetic kingdoms, God wants you to see the kingdom that cannot be shaken. And he, re he reveals it to us as this steadfast, immovable throne to which you are invited to draw near to. It's amazing. If we don't get a handle on that, the days of difficulty and tribulation could be misunderstood as if God has lost control, but the revelation is showing us nothing could be further from the truth. Well, God, how can you let our nation go into such a terrible place? I'm sorry to keep bringing up my age, but getting old is not a failure. Your body wearing down is not wrong. Why is it that, that our bodies, as we get older and we draw near to the transition, my father-in-law recently went home to be with Jesus. He was ready. He was ready to shed what could be shaken, the physical body, to put on what cannot be shaken. There, there, there are seasons in our lives and in this world that God allows tribulation and trial and challenge because let's be, let me tell you, I have to be honest that I've spent the, a lot of my life, even while I've been preaching about the book of Revelation, hoping it didn't happen while I was alive. I'm not ready yet. I want to live this life. 
And, and I, think, I, I don't think that's bad because God gave us life so that, so that we would live. But I'm going to tell you, there come seasons in your life when your heart begins to ache. And as we see our nation just going into places we never thought we could fathom that they would go, how many of you, uh, for, I know Tanya and I, we, we pray Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come yesterday more than we ever have. The more failure we see in the kingdoms of the world, the more corruption, the more uh, stupidity, the more our spirit and our heart begins to ache for the coming of the throne that will last forever. So the Bible describes some coming kingdoms that are going to help us long for that which is our real destiny. But if we don't get a handle on that now, if we don't draw near to the throne where we can receive the grace power for what is coming, we will not be victors. We will just be victims. And if we let that happen, we have not seen and heard what the Spirit is saying to us. We've missed the invitation, the open door to see the truth, the good news of the kingdom. Well, another preposition is before the throne. And there are two things that are described as before the throne. Seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Um, I'm gonna, you know, I think most of you are aware of the menorah and the tabernacle, so I'm going to skip over that for the sake of time. Because I want to jump down to the, as, as we transition into the great assembly, because we've seen the one who sits on the throne, we've seen the, the description of the throne. Now, who are the, these three different sets of living beings that are around the throne? Notice that God is not alone on his throne. Hear me, that's by design. That is the gospel of the kingdom. So we've already seen the 24 elders seated around the throne. Well, I wonder why there's 24 elders seating or seated around the throne, you know, serving God day and night. Well, go to 1 Chronicles chapter 24 and read about the 24 divisions of the priesthood. We're going to come back to this uh, even more next week. But then we see the seven spirits of God, seven angelic beings that are manifestations of the life and spirit of God, meaning when God wants to represent himself, his character, his nature, his power, his whatever it is, these seven spirits are the manifestations of his goodness. Now, that may seem weird to you, but by the way, you were created in the image of what? God. Why? To be a manifestation of the life and light of God. That's why we were created. So th that sounds all metaphysical and weird. You know, what do you mean there's an angel that represents, you know, the spirit of God? Well, how can we run around patting ourselves on the back because we were created in the image of God? We weren't created in the image of God for nothing. There's a reason for it. We just kind of messed it up. Let's begin reading verses 6 through 7. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal in the center and around the throne. Four living beings, 
full of eyes in front and behind. The first being was like a lion. The second living being was like a, cre- like a calf or an ox. The third living being had a face like that of a man. And the fourth living being was like a flying eagle. And the four living beings, each of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. The four living beings are not beasts, and they're not creatures. And, and may I just throw this out? One of the reasons people ask me, well, why do you, why do you think these are real, actual living beings? And because they look so weird. Have you ever seen a National Geographic, you know, documentary of the, the things in the depths of the ocean? And I, okay, that had to land here from somewhere else. I mean, those things are otherworldly. They luminesce, they glow. Some of them you can see right through them. Are they real? There's nothing you're being shown here that is unbelievable unless you just don't want to see it. Now, how do I know that these four living beings are not the same as the angels, the seven spirits? Well, in Revelation 15, uh, 5 through 7, then one of the four living beings gave to the seven angels the seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God. So you see the four living beings interacting with the seven angels, so they can't be the same, right? Just simple math. So with the seven lamps or the menorahs, we know where we've seen it before. These seven blazing lamps, we've seen, we've seen the shadow of it in the tabernacle. With the 24 elders, we know where we've seen that before. We've seen it in the 24 divisions of the priesthood. But where on earth do we see the shadow of these four living beings? Well, according to Jewish tradition... Well, this isn't Jewish tradition. This is the scripture. When Israel encamped around the tabernacle, there were three tribes on the north and three tribes on the south and three tribes on the east and three tribes on the west. And according to Jewish tradition taken from Ezekiel, which also sees these same four living beings, these are the images on the banners. Interesting. So encamped around the tabernacle, you have the 12 tribes, and you have a, a representation of these four living beings. What is, why should that freak us out? Is not the tabernacle on earth a shadow of the reality in heaven? Would it surprise us to see that there's some likeness or image, symbol, symbolic, whatever, If this were a seminar, I would go into greater detail about this. But there is one aspect of these four living beings that you may not have known, which I think is significant. And it's why I stress calling them living beings and not creatures and beasts. In Hebrew, they are called chayot. Have you ever given a toast, Passover, or a wedding? What do you say? Lachayim, to life. Chai means life. A kayot is a living life. What is the ins- what is the oat? It's the feminine. Hello. 
in Hebrew, the four living beings are described as feminine. Do we see four living beings in the history of Israel that are those that brought forth the life of Israel? How about Leah and Rachel and Zilpah and Bilhah, the four matriarchs of the tribes of Israel? Come on, ladies. I need to get something from y'all right now. I know you feel left out, all these masculine crazy beings, and I'm trying to tell you, you're not left out. The moms are around the tabernacle. You're not going to let all those kids run around by themselves. Come on. That's why I keep stressing they, they aren't just, they're not just living beings. They're beings that bring forth life because that's what these four living beings are about. They are used by God. You know, the Bible talks about how the, the Lord helped create this world with the angels. They were a part of all this. Notice that day and night, they never cease to say, just like Psalm 19, they never cease to say, they never cease to pour forth speech. Why? Because God's word is life. God speaks life. That's why we come here. That's why we worship. Have you ever come here? I mean, I know this has never happened to you, where you just kind of feel down in the dumps and life has got you down. And, and sometimes you find that moment where you just get outside of yourself and you finally start worshiping him who he is. And suddenly what happens to you? Life, renewal, your spirit rises within you. Your soul begins to rejoice again. You find strength because God's word is life. You're ready to go in this darkened world. You come here you, and, and we fill up so that when we go into this dark world, we can do what? We can be manifestations of the light of God's glory living in us. That's the siren to warn the devil that we're about to do business. Revelation 5.10, you have made them, and I don't like this translation, you have made them to be a kingdom. As if a kingdom is a something. Church, hear me. A kingdom is not a something. A kingdom is a someone. You don't have a kingdom if you don't have a king on the throne. Amen? And he is, and by the way, you're not a kingdom because he made you into, to give you a job. You are a kingdom because you are a manifestation of the light, life, and glory of God. He didn't call you to be anything. He's revealing what you were always created to be and are. A kingdom. When Solomon dedicated the temple, he asked a very interesting question after building this magnificent facility. Will God really dwell on earth? I mean, is God really going to come down into this building made with human hands of brick and mortar? And what did God do? The glory of God came, lit the altar, filled the Holy of Holies, 
and stood in the holy place. So when we look at the throne, what are we seeing? What is God saying from the throne with lightning and thunder and voices and dialects? And why is it that later we will, we will read about people from every tribe, language, people, and nation? Oh, sounds like they had four mamas. Standing around the throne. Why is that? What are we being told by the throne of God? We're being told that what God has done in heaven, so shall it be done on earth. What did our children just pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in heaven, on earth as it is where? In heaven. And that's why we teach our children to pray that prayer that, that we need to pray, that we never forget. And I, I got to throw this out because years ago I was doing a revelation seminar and I used this phrase, as it is in heaven, so it shall be on earth, which it turns out the Jewish Kabbalists, the mystic, mystics use the same phrase. Well, good for them. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. But they understood this, the, this, the premise that what is here is a shadow of the reality is there, but the intention of God is that the two shall become one, and God intends to tabernacle among us on earth. Because he has created a place for you and I to stand in his presence. To be established, to have a place. Jesus said, I, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you that when I come, what? Where I am, there you will be. What are we looking at when we look at the throne? Our destiny. Come on, church. Our destiny. Our future. Our now. What would happen if a group of people in Norman, Oklahoma began to believe that when they called on the name of the Lord, and they pass through the covenant waters of immersion. When they gave access to Jesus to establish his throne upon our hearts, what would happen if we started not just approaching the throne in confidence, but living the throne in confidence? What comes, what should be coming forth from us? Lightning, power, voices declaring the truth of who Jesus is in every, to every tribe, language, people, and nation. Thundering in a city 
The throne of God is coming and you don't have to be afraid because he does, he's not coming after you, church. He's coming for you. That terrifying, glorious, radiant throne to which he simply says, come find your place. I've made a place for you. I love the Hebrew song Kadosh, which is the Hebrew version of holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. I love that we see that scene in heaven with the four living creatures and the 24 elders worshiping the Lord in that way. Years ago, I was in San Antonio, Texas. And I went to a vineyard church camp. I was the uh, main speaker for the week. And while we were there, I began to teach the uh, kids there. It was a high school week of camp. And I began to teach them some of the circle dances that we do here and we do at Camp Yeshua. Camp Yeshua every year, uh, every night ends with the final dance is always dance with me. And uh, I had taught that dance to this camp, 85 to 90 teenagers that had never done praise dance. And we were out there one night, and there was, a, there was a guy named Buck. And he looked exactly like a guy named Buck from Texas would look, so your imagery in your head is, is right. And bless his heart, Buck just loved to dive in and do everything the kids were doing, play the games, but something had happened. I don't think it was Brent Ball, thank goodness. But Buck hurt his leg. And so he was now on crutches. And one night, as we're standing out there, as the day is coming to a close, and we began to sing, we began to play dance with me, and the kids began to move in the dance. They began to move in the circle. There was something that happened in that moment, in that camp, that I will never forget. The Spirit of God, it was like heaven and earth were suddenly connected. When it was done, I looked up, and here's this buck from Texas, this big, burly guy. And he's just standing there holding himself up on his crutches, sobbing. And I walked over, and I said, Buck, what's going on? He goes, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. I said, oh, I probably would. He said, Brent, because I wanted to be a part of that dance so bad, but I couldn't. I physically couldn't participate in the dance. You know, God has a reason for everything. I said, so what happened? He said, I just was crying, and I looked into the heavens. And he goes, I know you're not going to believe me, 
He said, but Brent, a light came from that direction. Another one came from this direction. And another one came from this direction. And suddenly there were lights above us. And they began to move with the group. They began to dance. Man, I wished I'd seen that. But there was nothing about this man that made me doubt his story. Next week, we're going to talk about the grandfather's clock. But there's a moment where heaven and earth come together. It's a foretaste of glory divine, as the old hymn says. It's when we join our praise with that which is ascending before the Father in heaven. And we begin to sing, Kadosh, 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 Adonai, Elohim, Savot, Holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. I'm going to ask you to stand. Because our response time today is going to be an invitation to sync with heaven. And next week that will make even more sense. And I'm going to invite you to do something as we sing Kadosh. Remember what I said about being around the throne? It's not random and scattered. Before the throne doesn't mean somewhere out in front. It means intentionally placed for a purpose. And so, church, I'm going to invite you to do something. We are a family. We are a body, and this is for our visitors as well. I'm going to ask you to come forward. I'm going to ask you to come together as we stand at the foot of this stage, as we share this song, as we sing this song, and as we sing Kadosh, 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 let the Lord meet your need. Let the Lord give you the grace he, does, he wants. Again, I'm just going to invite you all, the, if, if you don't want to, you don't have to, but just to come forward and just press in to his goodness. And if you have a need, kneel down before him and find his favor and his grace as we join with heaven, declaring the holiness of God.